I want to thank all of you, the fans. There he is, Tom Brady comes out for the first offensive series yeah. for the Patriots. What a long offseason it's been for number 12. What's happening, guys? Welcome back in Tuesday, October 4th. We got a lot to talk about. David Ortiz said his regular season farewell this weekend at Fenway Park, but the Sox are still alive playing Thursday in the ALDS, and the Pats shut out on Sunday, but have no fear because Tom Brady is here. Let's get into it. Podcast number two. Here we go. Oh, have you not heard? It was my understanding that everyone had heard. Heard what? You're, You're listening, listening to the Dynamite. The Dynamite. Rushing it. Dynamite. Dynamite! And boom goes the Dynamite. The Dynamite Show. What's going on, everybody? I'm Tom Soares. Welcome back in. This is the Dynamite Show. Got to talk about the Red Sox. Of course, David Ortiz thanking the fans, thanking the organization, thanking his players, past and present, and breaking down when talking about his mother. Quite a touching moment last weekend at Fenway Park. The Sox, of course, dropping two out of three to the Toronto Blue Jays, but who cares? Because they had clinched the division against the New York Yankees earlier, even though they got swept. Kind of an odd weekend, an odd way to end the regular season, but it doesn't matter. The Red Sox are heading to Cleveland. They're playing the first game of the American League Division Series this Thursday at 8 o'clock first pitch. 8.30, excuse me. They also play at 4.30 on Friday, and then we'll start up at Fenway Game 3 in what we hope will be the series clinching game if the Red Sox can sweep Cleveland. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Porcello will be going in Game 1 come Thursday. David Price will be going in Game 2. And I think the story here is Cleveland and their starting pitching woes because they're banged up. Carrasco is done for the year. He was great for them this season. Salazar has been hurt, and so has Corey Kluber. Kluber, of course, a Cy Young candidate in the conversation with guys like Rick Porcello. Had 18 wins this season. Apparently, he's ready to go in game two. So it looks like it'll be him and Price Friday. But game one, uh, Trevor Bauer, I believe, will be the game one starter for the Cleveland Indians against Rick Porcello. And the way Porcello's pitched all year for the Sox and the way that the guys have rallied behind him, I think the Sox are – there's a good outlook for them, and I think they're going to be able to get out to a 1-0 series lead. And all you can hope is that they can get out to the 2-0 series lead coming back to Fenway for a couple games. And uh, to be to be honest with you, I don't see I don't see the Red Sox having too much trouble in this series. And I know Cleveland's been good all year. They had that fantastic uh, winning streak, I believe it was, before the All-Star break. And, uh, of course, they played well all year. But the Red Sox just, I think their offense, if they can play it the way they should, they're, they're going to be all right. Uh, tonight, the wild card game between Baltimore and Toronto at the Rogers Center, uh, you know, across the above us, across the border. The winner of that will go play Texas. Now, I think the best-case scenario here for the Red Sox, uh, not to look too far ahead down the road, but I think it's pretty plausible that we should be able to win this series against Cleveland. If Baltimore or Toronto is able to go into Texas and, and take that series from them, then the Sox are looking at home field advantage in the ALCS. And while I think Texas may not be as hard of a matchup in terms of uh, you know that seven-game series, I just think that Baltimore and Toronto could be a little bit more difficult as we see these guys a lot more during the regular season. I still think I'd rather play them. And I think I'd rather play Baltimore rather than Toronto. And this is all, you know, shoulda, coulda's, maybe so's, you know, 
and all that, but I don't know. That's just how I feel about it. But I think that um, I think that the Red Sox would could really relish if they have home field advantage in the ALCS. I mean, playing at Fenway at this time of year, there's nothing like it. I think uh, which you know you got to take into consideration that the Red Sox have a lot of guys that haven't played in the postseason before and haven't been there, and guys that have been pretty essential parts of the team. Just going down the list, Travis Shaw, Brock Holt, Andrew Benintendi, Chris Young, Jackie Bradley, Mookie Betts, Eduardo Rodriguez, Sandy Leon, Christian Vasquez, and more. All guys that don't have any postseason experience. And, and luckily for the Red Sox, I think I think it goes one of two ways. I think when you have young guys like that, they're both they're hungry to win, but they're on, they're inexperienced. So you can't put all your eggs into one basket and say that, you know, guys like Betts are gonna continue to have the success that he's had all year, making his case for MVP. But I think at the same time, it's not – you can't count it out that he's going to play that way because these guys want a ring. They want to win. They've never been there before. Even guys like Xander Bogarts, yeah, he was there in 2013 as a young guy, but I still think it's a little bit different for him. Another guy with a great season, and I think that he's been such a pivotal part of this team now moving forward into the playoffs, I think, you know, he's going to be a guy that's looked at to perform. Hanley Ramirez, of course, has been there with other teams, but not with the Red Sox. And I think, uh, you know, if they're able to put it together, they're going to be okay. And I don't see how they're not, especially against Cleveland with uh, all the pitching question marks. They should be able to jump out and uh, get leads against this Cleveland team and uh, wrap it up relatively early. Now, I think uh, what I want to, you know, talk about a little bit is the Red Sox. And, uh, you know, we kind of forgot about it a little bit down this last stretch of the season. Of course, we talked about the 11 games that they won. And, you know, they had this little falter at at the end of the year here. But I think that that was just John Farrell trying to rest guys. And I'm not sure they were really that concerned about the seeding that they were going to get. Once they clinched the division after that Toronto loss, in that strange game where we saw Mark Teixeira hit a walk-off Grand Slam and then the Sox go back into the visitors' locker room at Yankee Stadium and start popping champagne. Uh, I personally think, ah, whatever. I mean, you had a great year if you're the Boston Red Sox, and you can't you can't let that one game ruin that. And I, I don't want people to overlook the fact that this team has battled all year in the toughest division in baseball, and they managed to come out on top. And that's huge especially after you dwell at the bottom of the American League East for two years, after you win a World Series in 2013. And now you're back. And I think you're back better than you even were in 2013. You have players that have have just been all all around better than that team that you had. You look, I mean, you have Hanley Ramirez, Mookie Betts, and David Ortiz. The first time in Red Sox history that three guys have had over 30 home runs or 30 home runs or more and 100 RBIs or more. That's that's something right there. I mean, if I'm an opposing pitcher and you're coming into the playoffs, you know, if I'm Trevor Bauer for Cleveland, I think his ERA is somewhere uh, near five, and you're headed into Cleveland game one and he's going to face these guys, I, w- I wouldn't be too sure that you're going to be able to get the job done uh, when you couldn't even get it done during the regular season. He's certainly not a lockdown pitcher, Cy Young conversation guy like Corey Kluber. So I'm really confident that the Red Sox are going to win this game one, and I'm confident overall that they're going to win the series. But back to what I was saying, I think people forget that the Red Sox were struggling to win close games. And in the playoffs, you're not going to win every game by 10 runs, 8 runs, whatever it may be. You're going to have to grind these games out. Luckily for us, we have Rick Porcello going in game one, who I think 
stood undefeated at home all year. He had that one loss. It was a one nothing loss. The Sox were shut out. So that's certainly, you can't blame him for that one. But he became, uh, I believe, September's pitcher of the month uh, with an ERA of about 270. The guy's just been locked down all year. And I, I, I don't foresee him struggling, you know, having almighty struggles uh, come at this point in time. I think he'll continue to do what he's been doing. But I think the Red Sox, I think they know this, but they need to, they need to realize that you're not going to win the games 10-0. I think if you're the Red Sox, you got to realize that you're not going to win these games by, by these big margins. And you might have a couple, you know, if they are to make a run to the World Series, you might win a couple big time. But other than that, you got to take advantage of timely hitting guys on base. You can't be leaving eight, nine, ten guys on base every game. If you do that, you're not going to win. But if you get a guy on third base, there's only one out, you got to hit a at least a fly ball to the outfield, get the guy to tag up, get the run in. You know, you got to think, John Farrell, we've, we've had question marks about him all year because some of the pitching changes that he's made at times, some of the pinch hitters, you know, and we've said he's blown games. I'm not going to sit here and kiss John Farrell's feet, but I do think he's done a decent job. I think he's been very good managing the team in terms of giving guys playing time, having certain guys go here and go there. But when it, come to, when it came to in-game managing during the regular season, John Farrell faltered quite a few times. And luckily enough, this team was good enough, and they are good enough, that they're at where they are now. But I think if you look at his his inability to do the small things, play small ball, bunk guys over, get guys in a scoring position, hit and runs. We, we haven't seen much of that from John Farrell. And I think if there is one thing that's going to be a thorn, in the, a thorn in the Red Sox side now in October, it could be that. And I really hope it isn't. But, I mean, you know, if the Red Sox aren't able to take advantage of those situations and aren't able to manufacture runs rather than just crush the ball and, and count on hitting home runs all the time, or, you know, extra base hits and just just uh, pile-driving opposing pitchers into the ground. I don't think that's going to be the case. And I think if you have any sense of baseball and postseason baseball, you feel the same exact way. But with that said, the Red Sox should be okay in Cleveland. They should get at least one of these games. You got your two aces going. And, of course, the conversation about David Price being an ace – Ah, he didn't do it in the first half, and we paid him all this money, blah, blah, blah. The guy locked down in the second half. He had the one shaky start in New York, uh, his second-to-last start. He was solid the other day, five innings. I think he only let up one or two runs. So I'm I'm confident. And while the guy does not have the postseason resume that that you hope an ace like like him would, it's, it's okay. You know, I'm confident that with the team we have, he can go up there and be comfortable on the mound. And, you know, if you can go out there and get five or six innings, holding holding them to between zero and two runs, the bullpen has really buckled down down the stretch here. And I think that uh, they will be able to be effective enough to keep the Red Sox in games and, and help them win. Uh, another topic of discussion has been Craig Kimbrell, who struggled in his last two outings. And in New York, uh, as part of that game, where the Red Sox clinched yet, Mark Teixeira, you know, and the Yankees walked off. Craig Kimbrell, he struggled. And ironically enough, we said earlier this year that in save situations, Kimbrell was just money. But when you brought him in and the Red Sox didn't have the opportunity to win or it wasn't a safe situation, that's where we saw him struggle. And personally, I noticed that he wasn't throwing the breaking ball as much. When he's throwing that fastball for strikes, I mean, he can heat it up with the best. 
and then he, he mixes in the breaking ball or the changeup, keeps guys off balance, and they really have no clue what's going on, and he's just been able to really shut it down. But when he's getting away from his stuff, that's when you see him getting a little bit out of control. Starts throwing the fastball too much. The fastball is just breaking, you know, four or five feet off the plate, and it's it's up at guys' eyeballs or it's in the dirt. And that, that's not going to fly in the playoffs. Another element of that has been John Farrell keeping guys in too long and guys like Kimbrell. In that game, I think Kimbrell walked two or three straight batters. I think it was two straight, and it ended up walking in a run. But this was after he let up two hits, and uh, the, the the first walk loaded the bases. Then he walks in a run. That That's a no-no in October baseball. If you're going to do that in the postseason, you're not going to make the run to the World Series, and you're certainly not going to win it. And if you do, God bless you. I think Craig Kimball will be okay, but it's just a matter of John Farrell being aware of maybe when he doesn't have it, or a matter of Kimbrell not pressing too much, being able to take his foot off the gas and throwing that fastball every pitch, and being able to get the breaking ball or the changeup over for a strike, giving himself a little bit of confidence. So he can't throw that fastball for strikes, and he can get guys out with it. Now, the rest of the bullpen, of course, Koji Uihara had the injury issue during the year. Since he's been back, he's been very, very good. With, uh, you know, you mix in a, a shaky outing here and there. He's been exactly what you've asked him to be in an eighth role, eighth inning role, setting up Kimbrell. So if those guys can, can mesh well again, I think that the Red Sox back end of the bullpen will be fine. Of course, Drew Pomerantz, wasn't exactly what the Red Sox thought he might be after the trade from San Diego in the middle of the year. But putting him into the bullpen, he had a solid outing last time out. I think he could be huge as a fifth, sixth inning, seventh inning guy, depending upon how far your starters go. But, you know, a game like last for Price, he only went five innings. Then you could bring in Pomerantz. Of course, you don't have Clay Buckholz in that role anymore because he's been thrust into the starting rotation. And that's, you know, a testament to the good pitching that he had down the stretch here. If you can get a two-game lead with Price and Porcello, or at least 1-1 coming back home, guys like Eduardo Rodriguez and Clay Buckholz are going to be that much more comfortable. All you got to do if you get, you know, split one game over there, then you got to win two out of the next three, and that's not something outlandish. You know, another question that's been raised is the durability of David Ortiz. And people are saying, how much does he have left in the tank? To be, to be completely honest with you, in my own opinion, I think that David Ortiz has just been relishing in this entire farewell tour, and I think his numbers speak to that. And, you know, a lot of guys might get tied up in that, you know, all the gifts and all the all the hugs and all the standing ovations that he's getting at every stadium that he goes to. But I think David Ortiz, that's what the guy lives for, and we've seen that. That's why he's one of the best clutch hitters of all time. Because every time he gets up there and we need the big hit and the game's on the line, he does it. And, look, even this past weekend, the first game against Toronto, it's a 3-3 ball game, steps up to the plate, man on base, Goes deep to right field, wraps it around the pesky pole out there, which uh, proved to be the game-winning home run for the Red Sox once again. So not a walk-off, but essentially the same type of moment for David Ortiz. And what better time to do it while fans are all in attendance to say goodbye to the guy who's done so much for him. And I think the Red Sox, too, as a team, all these young guys, they understand the colossal impact that David Ortiz has had on Boston and on the Boston Red Sox. I think that gives them another reason, not only for themselves to win and, and get themselves a ring, cap off this great season that they have had. This this gives them an opportunity to send off one of the best Red Sox of all time in the best fashion possible with the World Series championship. It would be David Ortiz fourth and would solidify him as, you know, top three, 
maybe you can make the case for him being the best Red Sox that that has ever played for for them. And uh, I'm definitely one to make that argument. I mean, I didn't see Ted Williams play. And, I mean, you can't take anything away from him. But David Ortiz just – this has been the golden age of the Boston Red Sox. And I think this would only really just cap off that argument again and and just solidify his spot amongst the greats. So the Red Sox will head to Cleveland. They'll be playing game one of the ALDS Thursday, game two Friday. Porcello and Price will be your starters there before the Sox head back to Fenway. And as we said, hopefully with a 2-0 lead uh, to start the weekend. Now let's transition to the other team in New England who's got some big name coming back to, to, to get under center this week. I'm not sure if you heard, but Tom Brady, his four-game suspension is up. We no longer, as New England Patriot fans, will have to watch Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett. Not that they did a bad job, but the man himself with four Super Bowls to his name, Tom Brady, will be on the field Sunday in Cleveland against the Browns. And what better way for him to come back after this four-game suspension and really just a tumultuous uh, summer and off-season and, and two years, really, since when they won the Super Bowl and then this entire scandal of the Flategate popped up against the Indianapolis Colts, who, may I mention, we defeated by, I believe, something like 30 points. So I'm not sure if we played the game with a bowling ball, we still might have beaten them. But anyways, Brady's back. The Pats uh, proved me wrong, and I thought they would stomp all over the Buffalo Bills. But Sunday at Gillette Stadium, they were shut out for the first time, and for the first time at home since 1993, they were shut out. That's back when Bill Parcells was the coach, and Drew Bledsoe was a young quarterback. And of course, we all know the story there, but might I say, I don't think that story will repeat itself this year. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo or Jacoby Brissett will be filling in for Tom Brady anytime soon. You know, a lot of people are saying that. Uh, I, I watched first take, and Max Kellerman wants to talk about Tom Brady falling off the cliff. And he says, well, it could happen this year, or it could happen next year, or the year after that. And it's like, you know, hey, hey Kellerman, it could, you know, we know it's going to happen. And by you just saying it could happen this year or next year or the year after that or the year after that, yeah, you're going to be right eventually. But there's really no there's no uh, point to your argument. There's no backing. There's no backbone. I think Brady's going to come in. I think Brady's going to be fine. I think, if anything, the four games gave him some extra rest. And what I thought was really awesome was during the game against Buffalo, the Pats are just struggling, looking awful. They have a quarterback out there who's a rookie, only has one game and a half under his belt. His thumb's all taped up. And Buffalo really just is is crushing the Patriots. I mean, it was only a 16 to nothing loss, but it was much worse than the scoreboard showed. But meanwhile, Brady's in Brookline throwing passes during the game. And I'm sure all he could think about is going after that Cleveland Browns defense, linking up with Edelman, Amendola, Gronk again, and just getting this team back on the roll. And I mean, leaving him with a 3-1 and record is not bad at all. And I think the New England Patriots and all their fans should just be happy about that, and the players should as well. And while this is one of the more ugly games I've seen New England play of of late in recent years, it's all right. You know, the Patriots went into this game 3-0, and and people obviously had hopes that they could get out of this 4-0, and Roger Goodell would be sitting there just 
God knows how he would feel. And I'm sure he's happy that the Buffalo Bills were able to get this one. And I'm sure I know the Bills are. The, to the Bills, this is uh, the equivalent of winning the Super Bowl. But, uh, hey, Buffalo, just a uh, little heads up here. The Super Bowl doesn't happen until February. And the week four of the regular season virtually uh, might boil down and usually boils down to mean nothing. And we'll see you again on October 30th. Tom will be under center. And I'll be, I'm sure he'll be throwing lasers per usual. And, uh, you know, we had the little pregame scuffle between uh, the Buffalo defender who pushed Jacoby Brissett. Malcolm Mitchell got involved, which I believe was the right thing to do. you got to protect your quarterback. And you better believe if it was Tom Brady out there and Gronk was behind him and someone shoved Brady, which I don't think they would dare to do. But if they did, you better believe Gronk would be right there to, to put somebody into the ground. But, you know, last year, just looking at that Dallas Cowboys game, I remember Brady, QB sneak, got in and just got up with this incredible intensity and fire. And I think that's what you're going to see from Brady on every single play. He's out here to prove that he's not done, that the Pats aren't done, which I think we've seen already. They're 3-1. and one. But Tom wants to show everybody that he can still do it, and he wants to bury teams. And I haven't spoken to him personally, but this is just – from watching this guy play for so many years, this is the feelings that I get, and the this is what I foresee happening. Now, last week, the defense struggled a little bit, and I know it can't be all Brady. I'm, I, I'm very excited. I'm sure other people are very excited to see what he can do, and I know the Patriots are glad to have him back. But you can't forget that the defense has kind of struggled, and we've sat here, and, and me, myself, last week, I said we were going to crush the Bills, so I eat my words a little bit. I'll just eat my own socks, I guess. I don't know. But the defense, you know, held Houston to no points. And the Pats are, I think, the first team since 2006 or so to shut a team out and then get shut out the very next game. But as I said, I believe both quarterbacks, Garoppolo and Brissett, were both hurt. But I just think Brissett was a little bit less hurt. So we took one for the team, and he was able to get out there with a taped thumb and was able to play the best that he possibly could. And clearly it wasn't good enough. But Rex Ryan and the Bills, they're all pumped up. They scored one touchdown. So let's let, I want to tell them not to get too ahead of themselves. But on the contrary, I also don't want to say, well, our defense only held them to one touchdown and we held them to three second-half points. It was much uglier than, than those numbers speak to, okay? They couldn't tackle people. The entire defense was having trouble tackling, and that's never a good thing. And that's something that as an NFL team you should never struggle with. If you're missing tackles in the NFL, these guys are going to make you pay for it. And they're going to get to the second level and they're going to make big plays. And we saw that with Buffalo. It was a 10-yard pickup. It was a 15-yard pickup, 12 yards. And those big plays, while you say New England likes to play that bend-don't-break defense, which they do and which they're good at, and they did that you know, only allowing the first touchdown and then four field goals following that, they still didn't look solid in in just having three and outs. You know, I, I think Buffalo converted 24 first downs while we only converted 13 with our, you know, beat-up offense. But that's never good for, for a, a team to allow that many first downs and just allow a team to convert like that and stay on the field. And that's another reason I think that maybe the offense couldn't find tempo and the defense couldn't really get 
the stop or a turnover or the spark that they needed is because the offense couldn't stay on the field and the defense couldn't get off the field. And that's never going to spell good for your team. And I think Sunday was an example of that. But I think now we saw that first play of the game where Julian Edelman had the 90-yard touchdown reception, the catch and run. And now with a rookie quarterback, you go into the week with a game plan, and I think that's what the Patriots did in the first three games. So that first pass, I'm not sure the game plan was first play of the game, 90-yard touchdown. But it happened and was called back because of the Chris Hogan holding call. Now, I think if that holds and the Pats get the 7-0 lead on that first play, with a rookie quarterback, that gives him that boost and that confidence. And, and the Bills knew that they could take advantage of that. And after that play was called back, the Bills were able to get to him a little bit, get some pressure on him, and it kind of screwed up the entire flow of the game plan. And with a rookie quarterback, you want to keep him in that, which is only going to allow him to succeed further. But because he got pulled out of that quickly, I think it was really hard for him to recover. Now you look at a veteran like Tom Brady or even Jimmy Garoppolo, who had a couple more training camps and practices and tosses under his belt. I think you give him a better shot of maybe getting down or, you know, a three and out, putting the ball away a couple times and being able to kind of feel the game out, feel the defense out, and bounce back. Jacoby Brissett, on the other hand, I wasn't surprised that he wasn't able to do that. And I think the entire offense kind of had to feel that they weren't going to be able to win this game because none of them really looked like they wanted it. Garrett Blunt had 54 yards, I believe, but wasn't running like he was in the first two games. And Julian Edelman had one catch for 16 yards. Gronk had one catch. And that's another thing I want to talk about. Rob Gronkowski, I don't want to take anything away from him. He is one of the best tight ends that we have ever seen, and he is an athletic specimen. But I know he's been hurt. I know he's been banged up. You'd think that Jacoby Brissett would be made better because of a guy like Rob Gronkowski. And maybe he is still banged up. But the question I raise is, is Rob Gronkowski somewhat a product of Tom Brady and the New England Patriots system? I love Rob Gronkowski, and watching him play is is incredible. The guy does things that nobody else can do. And I don't want to take anything away from that, but I am curious if you gave Gronk a full healthy season without Tom Brady, would he perform like he has in the past? But I think what will really answer that question for us is if Tom Brady comes back and Gronk starts scoring a bunch of touchdowns, then you might say, well, Tom Brady only makes Gronk that much better. But I, I don't think you really can jump to that conclusion without seeing Gronk healthy without Tom Brady for an entire, you know, stretch of games or a season because he has been banged up. And I think that it has played into the way the Patriots have used him, keeping him in the block, not having him run as many routes. And I think that will change now with Brady back, having Gronk get his rest. And I think that he will be more into the game plan. So please don't crucify me and say that I don't like Rob Gronkowski and I don't think he's good because I do. I think the guy's great and arguably by the end of his career will probably be one of the best, if not the best, tight end to ever set foot on the gridiron. But, you know, these two weeks, especially last week, kind of made me wonder why aren't why isn't Gronk making the impact that he usually does? Even Julian Edelman, he was I didn't even think he was there for half the game. I think he made that catch for sixteen yards in the third quarter. And of course he had the ninety yard catch. Maybe he was gassed after running 90 yards downfield, and he really had to just catch his breath until he made that reception. 
I don't think that's what happened, but I do think you have to give a little bit of credit to Robert and Rex Ryan. Buffalo played well, and they outplayed the Patriots. And the Patriots, contrary to Buffalo's front seven, they had no pass rush. They sacked Tyrod Taylor twice, but they really weren't able to keep pressure on him, and he was able to kind of sit back, read the defense, and do what he wanted. You know, for New England, that's something that they have to be worried about is they have to be able to pressure quarterbacks. And last year, they weren't able to do that either. And we saw that in the AFC Championship game. They weren't able to protect Tom Brady, and they weren't able to force their will on opposing quarterbacks and put pressure on them and get them on the ground. You know, I think that was an example of when you can't keep your quarterback off the ground, you can't succeed. So as a defense for the Patriots, in regards to them, if you're putting the other team's quarterback on the ground, you're probably playing well. And they didn't do that last game, and I think that was a major reason why the defense struggled. Now, we talked about how good the defense has been and how how great the defense is. And, you know, I looked at the numbers, and surprisingly, the team defensive totals have not been maybe what you think they are. Just in terms of passing defense, the Patriots right now rank 21st in the league. So out of 32 teams, they've allowed 1,058 yards through the air rushing. They rank 15th, so right in the middle of the pack. But we're talking about how, how fantastic this team is. They only let up 16 points to Buffalo, and they held the Texans to nothing. They shut them out. But when you look at the numbers and you look at what they're actually doing in a statistical matter, they're not amongst the top defenses in the league. And I think that's something that they have to worry about. This bend, don't break, this, you know, don't get me wrong. If Tom Brady played that game, or even Jimmy Garoppolo, the Pats score points, and they beat Buffalo. Buffalo's one touchdown wouldn't be enough to beat the Patriots with Tom Brady, a full healthy team who's able to, you know, kind of take a punch and then punch back. And I think that's where Jacoby Brissett had his struggles, is that he got punched in the face, even that fumble where he ran down to, I think it was the seven-yard line, and kind of stood up and got hit. I'm not sure why he didn't try to get a little bit lower and lower his shoulder or go into a slide. I understand you want to fight for the first down, but anybody, I don't care if you're like Garrett Blunt, Adrian Peterson, if you're standing straight up and a linebacker is able to put his hat right on the ball, it's most likely going to squeak out. And we saw that happen there. So he got punched in the face, caught a haymaker from the Buffalo Bills defense and from their offense, putting points on the board, and he wasn't able to punch back. And it seemed like the Patriots kind of held it together, kind of held it close, didn't make it look too ugly, even though it was pretty ugly. But it was almost like a fight going the distance. And, you know, the Bills won the decision. They didn't knock them out. They didn't win the game 40 to nothing. But they 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 certainly won, and they earned it, and they shut me up because I thought Rex Ryan had no chance to win this game. And I still think Rex Ryan's a buffoon. And Richie Incognito's tweeting, it's the tablet's fault at Bill Belichick because he had a little spike of the tablet at, you know during the game uh, to let out his frustration. But I think Rex Ryan and the Bills, they're more worried about winning this game and they're going to go celebrate it and they can go pop champagne like the Red Sox did. But let me tell you, hey, Rex, you're not in the playoffs yet. And if I had to name two teams that aren't going to win the AFC East, it's probably Miami. And it's probably the New York Jets. And I could probably name a third. And it's probably the Buffalo Bills. And your job's on the line. And I wouldn't be surprised if you don't have a job come the offseason. So, Rex, I hope that you 
frame the, the, the box score to this game, and I hope you take the game ball and throw it on your mantle because it's certainly the biggest win you're going to have this year, and I guarantee you when the Patriots go to Buffalo October 30th, they're going to run them right out of the stadium. They're going to embarrass them because this team got embarrassed, and they could have very easily went 4-0 in my opinion, but they just had the injuries at quarterback and penalties killed them, and the defense didn't play as well as we might have thought they did. So, just looking forward to October 30th. Hey, Rex, get ready because Bill Belichick's pissed. And Tom Brady's going to be pissed. He's going to be pissed against Cleveland. He's going to be pissed against Cincinnati. He's going to be pissed, I think, all the way to the Super Bowl. And I know that's very far in advance, but I'm confident in saying it, and I'll say it every week until then. So, let's cool the Jets a little bit. I got a little riled up there. But the Cleveland Browns are 0-4. New England has Tom Brady back. And I think they're going to be fine this week. Cleveland, I don't really think you have a shot. I said that last week against Buffalo, and they proved me wrong. And and I said, you know, anything can happen on any given Sunday, and I'll say it again because it can. And and that proved my point last week. But I don't think Tom Brady's going to lose this game. And I think I woke up yesterday morning on Monday. My first thought was Brady's back. He's going to throw eight touchdowns. And that's what I'll leave you with because I think Tom Brady is going to have a game. And we're going to forget that he was ever gone. And the Patriots should be 4-1 as they head back home. And Tom Brady is seen back at Gillette Stadium against the Cincinnati Bengals for the first time since his four-game suspension. And all things will be well once again in New England. And the Pats will be well on their way doing what they do and what we've seen them do for years now. I want to thank you guys for listening. This has been the second episode of the Dynamite Show. I'm Tom Soares. I hope you enjoyed. The Red Sox starting the playoffs Thursday, and the Pats have Tom Brady coming back on Sunday. It's an exciting time to be a Boston and New England fan. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening. If you did, I'll catch you next week. Take it easy.